Afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Friends Show. I'm your host, Nicholas Larimer, today joined by Mr. Gerard van Heerden. Kerry, how are you doing? Hi, good. Um, hi, Nicholas. I'm good. Hi, hi, Herman. Um, I'm in the hospital, as you can see. <laughs> yes, the usual white background. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's probably better than my background, which is a bit messy for those of you watching on YouTube. Oh, I love it. Uh, but anyway, I'm also joined today by Mr. Herman Pretorius. Herman, how are you doing? Uh, hi, good. I'm Nick. Oh, sorry, hi Nick. I'm 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 doing well. Um, yeah, sorry, clearly, we're all in fine form this morning. <laughs> no. Um, no, I'm well. I'm well. I must say, it, 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 we're reaching that point of the year where counting the days are are, are sort of becoming a, a subconscious habit. But you know, it's good to be here. And and um, one of the things I hope we talk about is is the fact that Harry um, is is the only one of us here that can really explain to us what is meant by the terms service delivery. <laughs> yes, must be nice. Um, but uh, speaking of people who are not functioning at full capacity at the moment, Vikila Mbalula, the Secretary General of the ANC, was in a debate between uh, a number of political parties this week, and um, he has a new explanation for why we are suffering from load shedding. So anyone who's kind of followed the stories to do with uh, uh, energy in South Africa knows that uh, we made a deal with the uh, a bunch of European countries, and I think the Americans as well, that uh, we were going to do what's called the just energy transition. This is the idea that over the long term, we're going to begin moving away from coal energy and towards things particularly like wind and solar. And that uh, once this plan was sort of submitted, the government uh, would receive a big chunk of money uh, from from the Europeans, a uh, huge, uh, it, was, it was like more than hundreds of billions of rands. Um, now, this money has not actually been paid because uh, government has not actually produced a detailed plan on how it would spend the money. So the sort of the scheme has not yet gone ahead. But this hasn't stopped Fakila and Balula from saying that the just energy transition is to blame for load shedding. Um, he said that uh, efforts to close coal power plants that the government had done as part of this had, quote, decapitated us to the point where we are load shedding today. Look where we are now. We have been at the forefront of decommissioning some coal power plants. So what's amazing about this claim is that it's just not true. There have been some coal power plants decommissioned, but that's not been the main cause of the electricity shortages. The main cause of the electricity shortages is the fact that of the installed capacity, something like only 50% of it is ever working at a time. I think the average for this year was something like 54%. Uh, in other words, almost half of all the all the time, the uh, power plants are broken. And that's the main reason. Or there's some other disruption, like, uh, you know, coals and delivered or something like that. Herman, um, Fakila has said some interesting things in his career. <laughs> this must be, this is actually, I think, in some ways, on a bit of a new level. Yeah, I mean, it is just devoid from reality. It, 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 the, the, the idea that Mr. Malula can look at this and think, or say this, and think that anyone hearing him will believe him is just tragic and delusional. The just transition, for whatever it might be worth as a global political agenda, is, let's say, max seven 
years old, seven to 10 years old, say. Load shedding started in 2008. The problem is that we have had load shedding. Either Malula is making the wonderful claim that we anticipated the just energy transition by a few years, by about a decade, or the man is plainly lying through his pie hole. The problem is that the causes of load shedding is so blatant, so obvious. The energy availability factor that ESCOM is essentially measured on has been catastrophic. Unplanned breakdowns consistently cause uh, loss of power, the instability of the grid, uh, infrastructure uh, investment uh, or infrastructure maintenance not being up to scratch. I remember about 10 years ago, one of the main problems with, with that caused load shedding was that the coal got wet. And I remember the someone said, as they come not heard of this thing called a ducky. Now, the problem is, if you are going to scramble for such an obscure and absurd explanation for your own failure, it says a good thing and a bad thing. Number one, it says that the ANC have exhausted whatever excuses the public might have bought up to this point. But the bad thing is, he just gets away with it. In, in, in any other context, um, such dishonesty would be just out and out identifiable. It will be news coverage. South Africa cannot do political parody because people won't recognize the difference between the truth and the jokes. Mr. Mbalula is one of the reasons I have hope for South Africa, because if that's the best the ANC can do, they are well and truly on the way out. But it is just shameful. I don't know if someone in the debate called him out on it. I don't know who the audience in the debate was, but I can just imagine that not a single South African, not even Mr. Mbalula himself, will believe such utter, utter rubbish. It's been really interesting watching the ANC try to sort of respond to the load shedding stuff. Uh, they've had a bunch of different things that they seem to have floated. This is the latest one as the party, which uh, seems to have two divided camps about this. There's one group which is very keen on renewable energies, and then there's another group which is very keen on coal, and they seem to kind of be at, at odds all the time. Guida Montasha seems to be the head of the, the coal side, whereas Ramaphosa seems to be more on the, the sort of renewable energy side. And you know, both factions seem to be taking every opportunity to shoot down the other's uh, 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 preferred energy source um, and kind of blaming the the, coal trans the the just energy transition for this is, it's just so sort of laughable, mostly because it hasn't really taken place yet. You know, in five years from now, in 10 years from now, yeah, you know, if the government goes ahead and actually implements this stuff and, and starts shutting down these things that we are relying more and more on solar and wind. Reasonable. I, I could see that being a, a reason for what was contributing to our, our electricity problems. But in this case, it's just sort of sort of bizarre. And I guess he, maybe he was just testing this one out to see how it went down with people. Um, but, uh, Gary, what, what do you make of all this? It really seems like the ANC has kind of been flailing around without any real good line to take on load shedding. Um, yeah, I think um, the ANC uh, is taking a page out of other African government's books, and that is to blame their failures, the, 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 the problems in their countries that they are the cause of, 
on on the influence or the the policies of you know the the the, the west um the, this is this is pure negligence on the one hand um i mean 10 20 years ago there have been numerous uh voices in industry um stating that we should build extra capacity if we want to have enough energy today to 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 keep the country moving those those calls were completely uh, ignored um and i think what what makes it worse um than complacency and negligence is just um the 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 complete selfishness um of it all because um the the industries most impacted by load shedding your mining sector your manufacturing sector your your high energy consumption sectors um these are also the industries that employ a significant proportion of south africa's um uh unskilled to semi-skilled uh population uh, lots of job losses um have occurred over the years um lots of people are now dependent on grants um starving resorting to crime indirectly because of load shedding and the government doesn't care because um that's not part of the plan the the government's plan is to use state owned entities such as escom to to empower themselves politically financially um at the cost of um their voters So I think what makes it so difficult for the ANC to kind of come to terms with with load shedding is because load shedding is caused by all of the things that are at the heart of the failure of, of ANC governance over the last few years. It's uh, it's firms of action, preferential procurement, um, over centralization, uh, uh, kind of lack of of any desire to sort of for think plan ahead just sort of doing everything in the moment um subverting things uh, to political um uh, uh, operational of operational decisions to political choices so uh, one of the reasons why the coal power plants break all the time is because i believe i'm correct in saying there was almost no maintenance done on them in 2016 and 2017 um and that was almost certainly as part of an effort to end the you know at the time limited load shedding um at least compared to now uh during the municipal elections in 2016 uh which uh, i think was a sort of fairly cynical move but um Herman, any final thoughts on this one uh you know what is what is the way forward here well the way forward here is to actually look at things that work south africans should understand that um load shedding is to my mind the big question mark over next year's elections um if the ANC makes progress on getting load shedding improved i think they might squeak in with a with a with a barest of majorities um at national level i i think uh, uh getting out of the death you know spiral of load shedding adds you know between 5 and 7 percentage points to the ANC's total of the votes um 
for whatever reason, you know, differential turnout, load switching. Um, so South Africans should keep that in mind, that if load shedding becomes better, we shouldn't be tempted to look at that as the same way every time the levels of lockdown got a bit lighter, where people just went, oh, I can jog now, thank you, Cyril. No, <laughs> what caused this problem in the first place was what you just listed, Nick. Um, Race-based policies that have allowed patronage and corruption to wreak havoc on South Africa's uh, fiscal resources, especially in the SOEs. Then also the blatant politicization of something as fundamental as power provision. There is no reason why uh, ESCOM can't exist as a fail-safe for uh, uh, perhaps commercially uncompetitive power provision in specific areas of the country. ESCOM as an SOE, as a power generating SOE, might have a function to fulfill, but there's no reason why the market can't be opened up for com competition and actual service delivery. We've done this in South Africa with uh, criminal law and order patrol, which should be a function of police, has been privatized. We are now in the process of doing that, at least the middle class who can afford it, with the question of solar. Now, the death knells of ESCOM don't need to ring, but at some point, South Africans must understand that BEE, corruption, preferential procurement, political involvement, an over-centralized state is the reason why we are in this mess. We can't just blame the ANC and say, oh, you know, a, with the ANC gone, things would be better. No, no. The virus of patronage, preferential procurement, corruption, incompetence will take time to smoke out of the system. And I really hope that um, any future government, provincial or national, has the guts and the political mandate to push through and accomplish that. It's not going to be easy, but it really is the only way out of this. All right, let us move on to our next story. And this is a pretty grim report that's come out of the South African Human Rights Commission, which was asked to look into the issue of malnutrition in the Eastern Cape. Now, we do know that malnutrition is a problem across all of South Africa's provinces, um, but I think it's reasonable to expect that the Eastern Cape is one of the worst affected provinces when it comes to malnutrition. It's one of the poorest, it's one of the most dysfunctional. Um, and between 2021 and 2022, the report found that at least 116 children died of severe acute malnutrition in the Eastern Cape. According to the Commission's uh, provincial manager, there are many unreported deaths linked to malnutrition that might be attributed to some sort of other disease. Uh, when you haven't had enough to eat, um, your immune system is much weakened, and so you might technically die of something else, but you know, malnutrition was the real reason that you died. Um, the commission found that 27% of children in the province suffer from stunted growth as a result of malnutrition. Um, and this was this, this report was compiled and the research was done in August of 2022. Um, the, it's been described as a grim situation and that there are alarming rates of malnutrition-related illnesses and even fatalities. Uh, they collected testimony from parents and guardians, and they highlighted the daily struggle that it took to feed, uh, that it takes to feed a lot of kids in the very poor areas of the Eastern Cape. 
Um, there are government feeding schemes and things. Uh, schools, for example, in general, tend to at least provide sort of one meal in these very poor areas, but it's not always enough. It's not always that well run. It's not always available. Um, and as a result, uh, this problem continues. Um, Minister of Health Joe Pachler has reported 26% increase in severe malnutrition among children under five in the past five years in the country. Um, so, Herman, I guess the first question is, you know, why are we seeing this big increase in malnutrition? Um, and, and secondly, you know, what is to be done? It's the economy, stupid. It really comes down to the ability of people to buy food and the ability of food producers within your economy to see a commercially viable plan for themselves as, as, a, as a business entity. And this, what's so tragic about this is it is completely, completely unnecessary. We are looking at a situation, and I, it, it sort of disgusts me that Joe Parla can dare say something about this tragedy when he is advocating shamelessly for something like the NHI which will cost South Africa between 500 and 700 billion rand a year. Just imagine, just imagine how many kids can be fed for 7 billion, 700 billion rand a year. A story that we're not going to talk about, but that we consider talking about, was that a municipality in Pumalanga um, saw 35 million rand robbed, uh, stolen within a couple of days. How many kids do you think you can feed with 35 million rand? And I'm not advocating for the state to spend that money. But that's money that's been collected through taxes from either the poor people who could have fed their kids had they not been forced to pay 15% VAT. Or that money could have been available to the middle class consumer base that could have supported economic development in these especially rural areas, or that money in something that I think we would advocate as a solution could have been put into something like food vouchers, where every poor household on a means-tested basis gets the financial resources to ensure that the kids in that household isn't malnourished, but it's not just you know a credit card, it's vouchers. They can be spent on specific goals connected to specific kids with specific needs. We're already means testing pensions and SASA grants. There's no, need, no reason why we can't extend that to make sure that the resources are available, that the government is collecting through the only part of the state that is currently functional, and that's the revenue service, some irony there. But if that revenue service collection could then be transposed into actually empowering the poorest people in rural areas to have the resources to buy something as basic as food, that would not only stimulate your rural economy, make it possible for businesses on a small scale to operate there and ensure that there are reliable supply chains to get food to these poorer areas, but it will also cut down on corruption because a parent with a suffering child in 99% of cases will look after that child. Now, your view of humanity could be pretty low, but your view of government should be even lower. 
And the idea that we can waste billions, billions of rands while kids literally drown in excrement and starve to death. I do not know how ministers in this government and in the Eastern Cape government show their face. And they should know that there is a reckoning coming for them. In some way, a reckoning will come for them. And if they are not haunted by 116 dead children, then my word, they deserve to be put on trial for gross negligence and spend some time in a place where they might get more than they bargained for. So, Kerry, I mean, there's many negative effects to malnutrition beyond just obviously death and sickness and that kind of stuff because it can, you know, can sort of hurt children's uh, ability to develop and do well in school and things like that, even years later on to in life, uh, even if they then get proper nutrition. So it's a pretty serious uh, condition. But, you know, this is, I think what this story really illustrates is exactly why we, people like us, go on so much about economic growth. Because this is the consequences of not having it. Uh, what do you make of this story? Yeah, um, I mean, it is as you say, Nick. I mean, those are pivotal years um, in in every person's life. Um, so, if you experience some form of malnutrition at that age, that's going to have such knock-on effects in your school performance, um, your ability to one day. Um, you know, function as a proper adult, employed adult. Um, I am fully uh, supportive of at least having a social safety net in in situations um, such as this. Um, uh, the, the the problem is um, is that we just don't have the money. Uh, and the reason the country doesn't have the money is because we have got anti-growth policies that is happening every major economic sector. Um, our our middle class is already overtaxed, partly because they have to fix their own roads, provide their own security and own health care and own education. Um, so our tax revenue is... Um, going down the drain every year. Um, and then, of course, we are wasting billions and billions of rands, um, either through corruption, as Hadman mentioned, or bailing out state-owned entities. Um, and unfortunately, the need for, for um, social support from the government grows every year. Um, our, our grant beneficiaries, if you include the Social Relief of Distress grant, is now around 27 million. We're, we're heading towards the 30 million mark. Um, but um, these grants are just, uh, um, you know, a slight reprieve. I mean, their, their values are quite low, a few hundred rands per month. That's not really enough to, 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 I mean, it's barely enough to lift people above the extreme poverty line. And then um, Finance Minister Inokorongwana said um, in, in April, in response to a parliamentary question, that we can't raise the value of, you know, for example, the Social Relief of Distress Grant 
um, by much or at all, because there simply isn't money in the fiscus. Uh, 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 you know, there's no money. Um, and it's the government itself that is standing in the way of, of, our, of us generating additional revenue sources to be able to provide extra relief and to stimulate the economies in our rural regions. Um, so I, I echo Herman's sentiment that the government should bow their heads in shame. Um, it, it, it's just, um, it's, it's, it's a horrific situation. Um, I think there was a, a paper as well um, earlier this year that, that said that the Eastern Cape is, the, is South Africa's worst province and and this just once again illustrates why. Um, yeah, read that. Uh, Nick, can, can I quickly just add one with just one or two numbers there? Uh, sure. A report last year found that in, in the in the three years preceding since Ramaphosa became president to 2000, well, not yeah, last year for three years between 2019 and 2022, government had spent 1.4 billion rand on catering events for the government. Um, ask yourself how many kids could be fed with 1.4 billion rand. Then we look at exactly that point that Kari has now spoken to and you have also spoken to about why economic growth matters. Because if we want a social security net, then we have to have a growing economy to afford that. And in the in between, and the CRA will shortly be publishing an incredible, I mean, uh, we'll probably know more about this, an incredible paper that will show that between 2001 and 2023, the number of people without jobs in South Africa increased threefold, threefold by the number of people with jobs, and that the number of people on grants increased by almost 400% over the same period. When we say economic growth, it's not to see, I, I, I often hear people on the left and the right say, oh, you just want economic growth because you want green arrow to go up. No, <laughs> we want food on the table, you heartless assholes. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, okay, let us uh, quickly go on to our last story for today. And these are comments made by Chief Justice Raymond Zondo. Uh, who was speaking at the National Anti-Corruption Advisory Council's conference. Uh, he emphasized what he believed was one of the biggest mistakes that South Africa has made in the fight against corruption, and that is the disbanding of the Scorpions. The Scorpions, um, whose official name I forget, but everyone knows them as the Scorpions, were this police unit, which was very effective in targeting corrupt people and weren't afraid to go after those in government. And for that reason, they were pretty much shut down. Um, he said, quote, one of the worst decisions we've ever taken as a country in our fight against corruption was the disbandment of the Scorpions. The Scorpions were said to have a very high conviction rate and were very effective, but we allowed them to be disbanded. Maybe as citizens, we did not stand up and fight. I have a sense that if the Scorpions had not been disbanded, we would have not had the levels of corruption we see right now. Um, in fact, even ANC Secretary General Fikile Mbalula has somewhat agreed with the saying. We were very big critics of the Scorpions about the way to arrest 
But from a quality point of view, criminals knew that when you were surrounded by the Scorpions, it's game over. The model of the Scorpions seemed to be working for us at that time. And to be honest, the ANC needs to go back to that. Um, he also, uh, Zondo went on to say that uh, one of the things we did was stop Fusi Pakoli from continuing as the national uh, director of public prosecutions. He is a man of integrity and showed that he was prepared to fight corruption, irrespective of who was involved. Maybe sometime in the future, he will decide to help South Africa in the fight against corruption. Um, Herman, one more, let me, let me just quickly go to you for your thoughts on this one. Um, the one thing I do disagree with what Zondo said here, I, I think he's exactly right in all of this. Um, also, particularly defending Wusi Bukoli, who was claimed to be, in a, you know, had this lie told about him that he was some sort of apartheid spy um, to discredit him. But the the thing that kind of makes me worry about what Zondo said is that he has full um, uh, enthusiasm and support and confidence in Shamila Batoy, the current National Director of Public Prosecutions. Um, a lot of people have said this. I don't see a lot of evidence to support why one would have full confidence in the National Director of Public Prosecutions at the moment. Uh, yes, um, I, I absolutely agree with you on that. Uh, Chief Just Justice Zondo again shows his ability to come so close to being right, uh, but then you know drops it five meters from from the try line. What I find fundamentally frustrating is that none of these, not Zondo, not Mbalula, not anyone crying crocodile tears about the disbandment of the scorpions, something, by the way, that Fakile Mbalula was all in favor of. None of these issues look at the real problem. They're all symptomatic. They are all saying, yes, let, let's let the children indulge in sugar. Let's continue buying liters of Coke per child, give them all the licorice, all sorts they want, tons of fizzes, but let's also stock up on a few panados, you know? Oh, we got rid of the panados? We shouldn't have gotten rid of the panados. I mean, they, they really helped with those headaches. Just stop feeding the sugar monster. <laughs> Fighting corruption isn't something that you just have to do reactively. There are causes of corruption. The causes of corruption are blatantly obvious for anyone with two eyes and more than three brain cells. So, sorry, Malula, you are excluded from that category, and I probably have some you know, pity for you. The problem is, if you have massive state spending, massive state uh, 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 freedom to, to, to make decisions, what's the word, um, prerogative, massive state prerogative, you have a highly politicized civil service, you have catered deployment, of course you're going to get corruption. You can't then wonder why the kids have headaches if you are the one pumping liquidized sugar directly into their bloodstreams and then lamenting the cost of headache cures. This is so frustrating that if we want to get rid of corruption, it is an easy way to it. Cut down the state spending, cut down the state's power, ensure that the money that the state gets, which it takes from taxpayers, remains in the hands of taxpayers then you cut corruption overnight. In, in, in a large way, I think South Africa will never recoup the costs of the ANC corruption. But we can turn off the taps. We can turn off the taps and hope for some prosecutions working backwards. We're not getting back that money. But my word, stop stuffing the faces of three-year-olds with tons and tons of sugar and then wonder, hmm, disciplines or microdolls, huh? I don't know. <laughs> uh, Kerry, final thoughts from you before we close up today. Um, no, I think Harman summed it up 
quite well. I, I will just add one more thing. Um, you would think that our um, uh, the fact that we're a democracy, we have elections every few years, that would put some pressure on on the ANC. You know, you know, scare them into maybe reforming themselves because they are on a losing streak everywhere, even in their stronghold provinces, and yet we we don't see any real turn. Um, the, the, the ANC keeps maintaining the same course with corruption and just pulling out excuses wherever they can um, to divert attention away from them. So um, it's, it's just so endemic. It's, it's part of the, the, the ruling party culture. You know, you, it's synonymous. Um, that's what's frightening. Yes, as, uh, as people have uh, observed before about politics, if something can't go on forever, it won't. <laughs> and I suspect South Africa's current political situation is going to very much be an example of that sooner or later. Okay, that is all the time we have for today. We hope that you found this show interesting. We will be back next week with The Daily French Show. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. Cheers, everyone.